Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Mark G. Richardson's Remodeling Mastery. This series is brought to you by Surefire Local. In this episode, Mark goes into the topic of when. We often ask ourselves what, how, and where when it comes to our business, and Mark shares some important questions and tools you can use to get yourself started. Over to you, Mark. Hi, I'm Mark Richardson, and welcome to Remodeling Mastery. Remodeling Mastery is a podcast series that's designed to help you think about, reflect, and actually act on elements within your remodeling business. What I try to do is I take different topics that I see are relevant not only to you, but certainly to what's happening in the industry. This particular podcast is supported by the National Association of the Remodeling Industry, NARI, as well as Professional Remodeler Magazine, and it's produced by my friends at Surefire Local. Today, my topic is going to be a little bit more abstract, a little bit more thought-provoking. However, it's also very, very pragmatic and very practical as well, and that's the whole question or the whole subject of When? When? We have a tendency to focus a little bit more on why, focus a little bit more on the what, and focus a little bit more on the the how of what we do within our remodeling business, but we don't necessarily ask enough questions wrapped around the question of when should we do certain things. So what I'm going to do is I've tried to kind of unpack and dissect a whole bunch of different win questions. And I'm going to ask some of these questions, but I'm also going to have you think about when is it best to do certain things yourself? How often? What's the cadence? What's the pace? And I'm bringing this up because what I see from some of the best of the best remodeling organizations out there today is they're not only masterful and very clear in terms of the vision, very clear in terms of their purpose, they're very clear in terms of having really a game plan or a blueprint of how to get there, but they're also very good at when and the cadence and the pace that they do things. And I think when you understand the when a little bit better and weave it into the other questions, you're more likely to see the kind of success that you want to see. So one of the things that I want to start with, with this subject of when, is in my book, Control Your Day Rather Than Your Day Control You, a big part of what I focus on is a lot of understanding time, understanding yourself in terms of when you should be doing certain kind of things, then organizing and being more masterful at your time related to those kind of things. So one of the things that I like to do when I'm working with or doing workshops on this subject of time mastery is actually to think about this as a little matrix or a chart. And as you can imagine, you can actually draw this little chart for yourself. And on the far left, you want to have the different times of the day. And then on the top, going across, you want to have a series of different things. You want to have what your mindset is. You want to have what activities do you, that you do especially well with that mindset. And then you also want to think about another question is where you should be doing those kind of things as well to be the most effective. 
So what do I mean by this? So starting on the left column, I'm going to give you uh, seven different times of the day, and then I'm going to use myself as an example of what is my mindset in those different time slots, but then what kind of activities and where should I be doing those activities in that period of time. So let's start with early in the morning. Now we all get up at different times in the morning, but Early in the morning, a.m., let's say in my case is somewhere between 6, 6.30, something like that. That's a mindset for me in terms of the way I'm wired and the way I start to think about the day. It's a very reflective time for me. I reflect on the short, medium, and long-term things. I reflect on how I'm feeling that day. And as a result of that, the activity that generally is best for me to do is more of a deep planning activity and kind of a reflecting not only on that day, that week, that month, that's when I do that. Now, generally speaking, for me to go that deep, I need a very quiet place to be able to do that. In some cases, I go sit outside on my deck. In some cases, I sit privately in a, in a, in a library or study but I have to be in a quiet place to be able to do those things. Mid-morning, mid-morning in my case probably starts about 8 to 10 o'clock, something like that. That's when I tend to be very creative. You know, having a little bit more of a design background may be influenced by that, but that's where I tend to be very creative. So the activities I like to do during that time slot have to do more with designing things, have to do more with uh, planning out things, thinking about things, developing new talks, those kind of things. I oftentimes also do my writing at that time because it's kind of a creative activity. Now, again, I tend to like a quieter place to do those things, so it's oftentimes not necessarily done outside on a deck, but it's done more in an office kind of environment. Late morning, which in my case generally starts probably 10 to probably 1 o'clock, that kind of time frame, that's when I tend to be much more productive, much more of, that's kind of my crank time. Yes, I'm thinking, I've got an edge, I'm doing kind of creative things, but it's really about cranking, moving through things. Oftentimes, that's where I'm assembling outlines and presentations and doing things like that. I'm working on projects. And again, this is more of an office-type environment. Once I get a little bit after 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, I get into that time frame, now I really have a more of a thirst to kind of look outward, not just inward, and I tend to be a lot more interactive in terms of relationships with people. That's when I'll do more conference calls, more meetings. Uh, I tend to move around more quickly. Oftentimes I'll go outside and I'll go for walks and those kind of do and do a whole series of different kind of calls and connections more to people. Once I get into the late afternoon, probably more like four o'clock-ish, that's when I get into kind of what I would consider more of a wind-down mode. And in a wind-down mode, you know, I don't want to spend a lot of time and energy thinking. I want to spend more time doing, doing those kind of rote activities that are necessary in life. Those administrative activities, the simple activities, the monitoring, the tracking, all of those kind of things that are necessary, follow-up uh, activities, just simple little communications, those kind of things.
Once I get past, say, six or seven o'clock, that's when I want to start to disconnect. And I want to try to catch up, catch up with some of those personal kind of relationships with my family and friends. I want to, you know, maybe spend a little bit more time in a, in a much more relaxed, slower pace kind of mode. You know, oftentimes that's a good time for me to go and do a little bit of exercise or go out for walks or those kind of things. Once I get into the late evening, late evening in my case would be after, say, 8 or 8.30. Now's when I really want to crank it back and just literally get the evening, let the evening kind of come to me rather than me kind of controlling it. You know, it could be more controlled by, you know, literally watching television or doing some kind of reading or something that is just very, very relaxed, interactive with some of the people, but kind of winding down certainly and relaxing at the end of the day. Now, I share this structure not because you should emulate anything what I do, but what I find in different workshops that different people tend to be different at different times of the day. Some people tend to be what we oftentimes call evening people. Some people are more morning people. Some people are more creative in the afternoon, some more in the morning. But what you need to do is think about, think about the activities in your business and in your life that you need to marry those activities relative to the time of the day that you really do it best. And I think if you take some inventory of this, and then you're conscious about planning those activities in those time periods or setting up appointments with clients or team members in those time periods that works best, you're going to be more and more effective. The next win question I want to throw out there is a little bit more of a big picture question, and that is, when should you start thinking about an exit or a transition out of your business? Now, some of you listening to this podcast are earlier in your career, so even the whole thought of exiting out of the business is a little bit of a stretch. However, I can say from my own personal experience, I started thinking about this subject. What was that next passage? What was that next step for me? Literally 20 years before I actually stepped down as chairman of my company. And I'm not necessarily saying that everyone should be on a 20-year cycle. What I am saying is you need to think about when you should be thinking about it. What I find when I work with and I coach different individuals and companies, that more times than not, they're thinking about the subject of transition, passage, and exit way, way too late. So what I usually encourage if I start having this discussion, I ask the individual, when would you like to, you know, be moving on to your next stage in life? When would you like to kind of pass the baton to another leader within your company? Now, if that time frame is 10, five, year, five or 10 years, then that's usually plenty of time to really start to move the chess pieces along and get it in place. If it tends to be one or two years, then that's too short. So if, in fact, you're thinking about what that horizon is for you, it's very important, in my opinion, to do it longer in advance. And you may not be crystal clear exactly what your next steps are, but at least start to articulate how do you want to feel when you're moving on to the next phase. Do you want more of an abrupt, rip-off-the-band-aid kind of transition 
or you do you want more of a gentle kind of fading out type of transition. All of those will influence, I think, what it looks like and feels like for you. Another win question is really important, and that is, when should you start to plan for the new year? Well, here we are in September, beginning of October-ish of 2018, I would say over the next 30 days, you should be starting to at least have a thumbnail sketch of what you're yearning for for 2019. Now, if you're a very large and more sophisticated business, you might be having uh, meetings and strategic planning sessions in October to be able to kind of sort through and get alignment from your team of what those priorities and what those initiatives might want to be. If you're a smaller type of business, it might be that you're just spending, carving out, making a little bit more appointments to yourself to be able to think about what that is. But the answer to the question is, you should be starting to think about 2019 over the course of the next, I would say, 30 days. Now, as you move that process along, once you get into November, now all of a sudden it starts to look like a little bit of an outline. It starts to have some preliminary numbers starting to be attached to it. Needless to say, you want to have a good final leg of this year, which will influence what 2019 is. But into by November of this year, you should be putting your ear to the ground and really listening to what your clients, what the economy, what your team is saying, and that will have a big influence of what 2019 is. Once you get into December, now it's time to do a deep dive planning. Now it's time to really sharpen the pencil and get into the metrics, into the numbers, into the initiatives, the priorities, the different chess moves that need to happen so that then you can start to come out of the gate in January with really kind of launching into the game rather than kind of being in the quicksand, and before you know it, you're all of a sudden halfway through the first quarter of 2019, and you're just figuring out what the new year looks like. Another question we oftentimes, win question we oftentimes ask or think about, especially after the fact, and that is, as you grow your team, when should be you be hiring, and when should you be firing particular team members Certainly the firing is always a question of that I'll get into in a moment, but it's really more a question of asking key questions in terms of whether, in fact, they're going to be on your team or not on your team. But I would argue the hiring process or the recruitment process today is probably more important than ever. So if you're sitting here in the fall of 2018 and you're starting to project out to 2019 and what those moves are, whether their moves are in terms of labor or whether their moves are in terms of sales or production management, whatever those moves are, you need to start to plant those seeds very, very early on. I'm a big believer that you should be hiring the talent that's out there and hopefully positioning them for the roles that will be out there for you one, two, six months in advance as opposed to reacting to the need of either sales or production, and then all of a sudden you're going to be caught short in terms of the necessary training and transition with those employees. So the more advanced kind of thinking that you can put into place when it comes to people, I think the better. Now the flip side of this is when do you, should you pull the plug on somebody? 
you know, I usually ask some key questions to myself when it comes to uh, advising clients whether they should keep or not keep someone. The first question I think you, you have to ask, if they're not necessarily functioning as well as they could, ask yourself three questions. One is, can they do the job? The second is, will they do the job? And the third is, do they fit? The can they do the job is all about competency. It's all about skill sets. The will they do the job is all about attitude and work ethic. The do they fit has to do with your culture of your company. You know, are they speaking the dialect, the language? Do they care about similar things to what your causes and your company is all about? So if you're not getting yes to all three of those answers, then it's probably not boding very well for that individual. So you either need to fix those or you need to move towards an exit. Now, what I oftentimes encourage owners and certainly leaders to think about, when someone doesn't work out, it's usually a product of a bad hire or bad training. And the reason I usually try to narrow it down to that is that more times than not, it's your fault, not their fault. So what it should say to you for the future is if someone's not working out and then you ask those two questions, bad hire or bad training, Go back and revisit your kind of your filter, your, your, your hiring process, and ask yourself what might have gone wrong that you allowed this person to swim into the net that maybe they shouldn't have gotten in. And again, I go back to the three earlier questions. The second thing is if it's bad training, are you doing the right onboarding? Are you doing the right training to help them to be successful? You know, people are your greatest assets. And as a result of that, you need to invest more time, energy, not only in developing but maintaining these people just as much as just having them and kind of plug and play. Some other win questions, which are a little bit more in the trenches, but I see this with the diversity of businesses out there. And it really relates to when you interact, when you have meetings, those kind of things. Now, of 10 different remodeling businesses or just general businesses out there, what I find is 9 out of 10 are doing things different from each other. And just by pushing the pause button and asking the question, when should I do this? When should I do this? When should I do this? You're probably going to see more effectiveness and more improvement. So think about all the different meetings within your company. Many years ago, a friend of mine said, Mark, meetings are your job. And that was a wake-up call for me that I had to have all of my meetings not only be really world-class meetings, but I also had to think about the cadence and the when I did certain meetings to be most effective, not only as a leader, but also as an organization. So let's talk about leadership and management meetings. Now, if you have a relatively small company, I think it's a good idea to have regular leadership meetings. Now, who is in that leadership team? You need to determine what that leadership team is. But I would say a team that's more in crisis or there's more issues, more challenges, you need to increase the frequency of those leadership meetings. You might have them weekly, you might have them biweekly. But once you, I think, get the rhythm down and things were really moving along well, you can have leadership meetings that are a good deep dive, typically an hour and a half to two hour meeting once a month, 
in a business that's really humming along effectively. And I think you can break from that meeting and that huddle and have everybody aligned and in sync with each other. Sales meetings. The win on the sales meetings obviously has a lot to do with how big of a sales organization that you are. If you're a relatively small organization, it's just you and one or two other people, you can do it a little bit more casually, but I would have a very structured weekly sales meeting. If you're a little bigger organization, you might want to look at the win, break it in terms of parts. You need to have maybe some subsets of a weekly sales meeting, but then also a monthly kind of what I oftentimes call sales mastery sessions. That's when really the heavy-duty training happens. So in these sales meetings, there's obviously an agenda that you're going to consistently follow, but you really want to make these meetings really impactful and really meaningful. Production meetings. Again, production is very similar to sales in that you've got to have a sequence of these meetings that are going to be in sync with the size of the organization and what the needs are. But generally speaking, I would say you need a production meeting if you're a fairly good-sized company uh, once a week or biweekly to be effective. Client meetings on projects. You know, one mistake I think that happens when it comes to projects, now more than ever, is that you don't have enough or the right amount of on-site meetings with a client. Once you start construction, you should have a weekly on-site meeting with a project manager and the client. This needs to be like going to church. This has got to happen on a weekly basis. Have a very set agenda. Go through the agenda. Have it be very efficient. And then break and then set up certainly what the agenda is for the following uh, week's meeting going to be. So by having that weekly meeting, you're going to make sure that there's not miscommunications. You're going to make sure the client experience is what it needs to be. You're going to make sure the cash flow and the collections are in check. And then you're going to obviously address any subtle issues that it happens with a particular client. Sales calls. When should you do your sales calls? One of the more common questions I oftentimes get when it comes to uh, uh, salespeople out there and sales organizations is when do you set these sales calls? You know, the thinking in the past, the past meaning 10, 20 years ago, you want to have those sales calls during the business hours. Well, ideally, yes, of course, you do need that. But we're in a little bit of a different era right now where people are kind of working 24-7. And I'm talking about your clients, not necessarily just you. So I think you sometimes need to structure your week a little bit different. And I'm not here to say take away all your weekend, but it's not a bad idea to at least have a chunk of time on a weekend that at least for those client-related meetings you are accessible uh, if, in fact, you want to grow and continue to take your business to the next level. Sales meetings also today do not need to happen just face-to-face. There's a lot of technologies that are happening out there, as expressed with the Extreme Sales Summit last week in Philadelphia, that are very interesting, more online, video conferencing. There's a lot of techniques and tools that you can use to have those meetings that are very interactive, they're very personal, without necessarily being face-to-face. Now, the future is really in those kind of meetings because the reality is your clients, especially spouses, they can be in different parts of the country or different parts of the the city or town and be able to have really good interactive discussions with you. 
How about those annual meetings or the all-hands-on-deck kind of meetings? Generally, I recommend for most companies that have any real substance to them is have an annual meeting. If you don't do annual meetings, how do you get everybody uh, aligned? How do you get the rallying cry behind things? How do you get people excited about the... You're going to have people leave you in part because they don't necessarily know where this business is going. So having a good, solid annual meeting, but also don't forget about all of the strategic alliances and subcontractors. You need to have meetings with them as well. And then I think keeping in touch on a quarterly basis is a really important time to have, I think, little updates and adjust. Just like with a football game, you have huddles. You have uh, timeouts, and then you have halftime meetings. And then, of course, big planning sessions before the game actually starts. The more that you can kind of model your company off of a very successful, efficient model that we see with professional football, I think the more successful you can be. So I want to just kind of close on this theme that I've been talking about for a little bit here, and that is it's very important to, I think, know your why. We talk about the why. Why should the client do the project? Why are you doing this? You should also be clear in terms of the what. What is the product? What's the client experience? What is the process? How you're doing it? You know, the how is really important as well. But also don't forget about the when. Because if you can weave in the win questions into things, you can see a degree of effectiveness and efficiencies to your business that will make a big difference. So again, I want to thank my friends from Nary as well as Professional Remodelers to certainly support this particular podcast theme and certainly thank my friends at Surefire Local for producing this as well. Take care, everyone. Thank you, Mark. You just listened to episode 106 of Mark G. Richardson's Remodeling Mastery, brought to you by Surefire Local. I hope you were able to take away some important tips to use when it comes to figuring out your win in your business. As always, make sure you subscribe to Remodeling Mastery on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again, and we look forward to seeing you next time.